All right, I'm not as uh, quite as steady as I normally would be. I had a little bout there with vertigo on Friday and uh, recovering well, but still not uh, as stable as I normally would be. I want you to know, folks, um, thinking about this, anticipating the opportunity to uh, be here with you, what a great, uh, great blessing it is to celebrate this 91st homecoming celebration. It's almost been two years, I can't believe it, since I retired from pastoral ministry here at Myrtle Grove, uh, June, I think the first Sunday of June would be two years. And, and uh, though that seems like a long time, yet standing here right now, uh, it just seems like it's, you know, was yesterday. You know, I think the older we get uh, and the more we look back in the rearview mirror, it seems like time goes by so fast. I thank the Lord for the uh, years of opportunity to serve here at Middle Grove Baptist Church, uh, to be a part of the history of uh, this dear fellowship that I love so very much. I thank the Lord for the wonderful memories uh, that Meryl and I share in our children, um, memories and the love that was poured out by the leadership uh, then in 1997, 24 years ago, when we came with our uh, young children uh, here and the, and the support, the love that uh, we received from the fellowship at that time. But I am equally as proud and thankful for the leadership today here at Middle Grove Baptist Church and the love and the care and the support that they have poured out on their new under-shepherd, uh, Brother Josh Murray and Allison and, and his ch uh, their children. You know, um, I think about Josh. He may not be a perfect man. None of us are perfect, but he, was a, he is a perfect match, a perfect fit for Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. No doubt about that. Josh, they say that uh, a pastor's first year uh, at a church is to be a honeymoon experience. Well, your folks certainly loved you honeymoon style, but the circumstances surrounding your first year was anything but a honeymoon. I mean, Josh no sooner got out of the gate than faced a worldwide pandemic, followed by a crazy lockdown, and having, with all the other pastors in the nation, to figure out ministry when you can't even be with your folks and communicating with them, literally uh, attempting to, uh, through social media and phone calls, to maintain a ministry of love and shepherding. Uh, you know, think about the uh, civil and political unrest. And to top it all off, in the fall of last year, a hurricane. The man's first year. All of these things, but I'll tell you something. Yet through it all, it revealed the stuff that your current under-shepherd is made of. The kind of man of God that the Lord has sent to Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. Josh, I am extremely proud of the way you face those challenges. God bless you. I take time publicly right now to honor you. Would you stand with me in honoring your under-shepherd? My time this morning um, uh, is brief, but my assignment has been to reflect on the past of Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. And to do that, the Lord led me to a scripture that I think will really uh, drive that point home. Uh, and I pray will be an encouragement to all of you. 
You know, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul probably perhaps the greatest Christian missionary in the history uh, of the church. Uh, he wrote these words in Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. He said, and reading from a Holman translation, Paul said, I am obligated both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach good news to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. You know, uh, Paul reveals here, we get a glimpse of the motivation uh, that was behind Paul's commitment, his love, his dedication, his suffering. What motivated Paul, first of all, is right here in verse 14. Paul said, I am obligated. I like what the King James, the word the King James Version uses, I am a debtor. I'm a debtor. Paul realized that he had a debt he could never repay, first and foremost, to the Lord Jesus Christ who died on a cross and extended mercy and forgiveness to what Paul considered when he thought about himself, the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, who persecuted the church. And yet in spite of that, God showed him mercy. Paul felt that there was a debt there, not that we could ever repay uh, that debt. We're not saved by works, certainly. But as a result of that great mercy, Paul felt an obligation to the good news of the gospel of Christ, an obligation to his Savior and Lord. Is it any different for all of us here right now? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all, in a sense, debtors. You know, if you think about it, do you feel like you are a debt to the Savior who shed his blood in Calvary's cross for you? Paul felt himself a debtor not only to the Lord Jesus and all that Christ has done for this great salvation, but he was also, I'm sure, felt as a debtor to those heroes of faith that went before him. I'm, I, I believe it was certainly true for uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr. If you recall young Stephen there in the book of Acts, as it, uh, the story is revealed, um, Paul hold, held the cloaks of those standing there, observing, holding the cloaks of those who killed, who murdered Stephen and stoned that first martyr of the first century church. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Paul, uh, Paul felt an incredible debt to him, for he watched the way Stephen, through his faith in Christ, was able to face that stoning, even forgiving those who were casting the stones. The very Spirit of Jesus must have brought great conviction to Paul. In the same way, folks, we're debtors to the heroes of faith who went before us. Think about this. The blood, the sweat, the tears, the sacrifice of those who went before us, all of that is the reason why we are here today worshiping and so We owe a debt of gratitude to the heroes of the faith and recognizing the fact that we would not be sitting here comfortably, free, worshiping, and, and having such a great salvation had it not been for the sacrifice of so many down through the years. Think about this. We are debtors to those who founded this church. In 1930, a group of folks got together, uh, not too far from here, and realized that there was a church that would be needed right here in this growing community on the west side of Pensacola, Florida. This is really a rural area back then in 1930. You know, there were, you could hear chickens in the morning. There were the uh, Scambia High School. That was a dairy farm. Didn't know if you knew that. 
I mean, all, and they met in a school, the, the Myrtle Grove Elementary School, to start before they built their first building. But we owe a debt to those who founded this church. Think about this for a moment. Look at this sanctuary right here. How did this building get here? Where, where do those seats come from that you're sitting on right there? You know? The, the, the commitment, the sacrifice, the sweat, the tears from the founders of the church in 1930, all down through the decades, pastors included like Fred Chance in the 1950s, when this area began to explode in growth, his 10 years uh, building on that growth, reaching people in the community. Dr. Al Butler, I, I feel a personal debt to Brother Al for his 30 years of sacrifice and love, his support of me when I came. You know, I think about that and the love that man showed me. And uh, he said, I'm going to be your greatest cheerleader. And Josh, I certainly hope I'll always be that for you, dear friend. You know, uh, it, it's an amazing thing when we think about the sacrifice, the commitment of those who went before us, not just for the buildings and the land, certainly for that. There was an investment of money and sacrifice. This wasn't a, a church filled with doctors and attorneys, but rather a middle class uh, church, many lower middle class individuals here, who, whose commitment to give out of what they had was, uh, was sure and, uh, and the commitment was real. Manifested in the fact right now that this church is debt free, you know, and able to do not have to worry about that and can and have plenty of space and plenty of room now to continue um, this great ministry of outreach. But not only the buildings of the land, I think about uh, when I got here just about a year later, we wanted to get the church uh, back in an outreach mode, and I remember starting Faith Evangelism. Dr. Bobby Wells, you remember that first came out. I took a group of folks here from Myrtle Grove to Olive Baptist Church. This church family in 19, uh, that would have been 99, were so ready, so ready and willing to roll up their sleeves and get to the work of mission and outreach and evangelism. And it was a thrill when, when many of the teams I, that uh, we broke up in teams of three that we sent out, when folks would get saved, they would come down here, stand in front with those who have received Jesus, so proud, so thankful. There was a sense of celebration. Those of you that were here remember those early years. There's a debt of gratitude for those heroes of faith, those who've gone before us. And this is why Paul could say, and if I can conclude with these remarks now, Paul said, as a result, I am eager. King James uses the word, I am ready. I am eager and ready to preach the good news because of the great debt that we owe to our Savior, to the heroes of faith of old, to the founders of this church and all those here at Middle Grove that went before us. We ought to be ready, ready, excited, eager to carry on with the mission of the church to preach the gospel of our wonderful Savior and Lord. And then he closes with this last I am statement. I am a debtor, I am eager, and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with this, this last challenge, okay? There are a lot of forces at work in our world right now that want you to feel ashamed, who want to intimidate the body of Christ into silence. Don't you let that happen, friend. You remember, don't, are, are you ashamed of the gospel, anybody here? Never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You've got a great foundation to build on. A great Savior who shed his blood for us and conquered death and has forgiven us and shown mercy. Are the heroes of the faith whose blood, sweat, and tears have brought us to this place right now.
where we can preach the good news of the gospel to Christ comes in. Number three, the founders of this church who had a vision of reaching the lost of this community. Stand firm. Stand firm with that great heritage. Stay focused on Jesus in the midst of all the confusion. And remember, we've already won. For I am convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life nor angels, demons, nor the past, present, or future will ever be able to separate us from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. God bless you. Thank you.
Pastor Ron, thank you so much for those words. And I'm so thankful to be part of the present here at Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. If you would, let's stand and worship together. And seated above, enthroned in the Father's love. Destined to die. He poured out for all mankind God's only Son The perfect and spotless One And He never sinned But He suffered as if He did It's all authority Everything victory is yours. Sing that again. All authority. It's all authority. It's everything victory is yours. Sing Savior. Savior, worthy of all. Awesome and crazy your name. 
towards the future in God and just see your hand in all of it. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Lord, I pray that you would speak through brother Josh this morning. Lord, that it would be your words and not his. God, that you would speak directly to us. We love you. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Thank you, brother Cody and our choir for leading us. And thank you, Pastor Ron, for your words of encouragement and reminding us about the, the great cloud that's in heaven, uh, that's waiting for us. And I think about the, the words of the writer of Hebrews when he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a, a, crowd, a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And as I think about that, we're, we're in the race right now, church. We're in the race. God hasn't called us home yet. And we're not dwelling in the past, but today we're in the middle of the race. When I think about Paul, Paul realized on several occasions that he was really close to heaven. <laughs> I mean, you just imagine that. He, he, he kind of recounts those moments there for a minute, and he, he tells us how he was beaten half to death, how he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a snake, you know, within his in, an inch of his life several times. And he knew heaven was coming. And as he wrote to the Philippian church, he, he had heaven on his mind. And there's several times in Scripture where you see Paul, he kind of starts to to dwell on heaven and think about heaven. And then God brings him back down to reality and says to Paul, hey, you've got work to do in the present. There's something here that you've been called to do. So I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 3 and just think about one of these moments with Paul as he shares with the Philippian church. Philippians uh, chapter 3. 
verse 12. Paul is talking about heaven and how he's going to be perfected one day. And he says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Amen. Amen. Paul knew that he had not arrived at perfection. I love it when my GPS has been leading me somewhere and whenever I get there it says, you have arrived. I think, yes I have. Thank you. No. I'm just... But I think, I, I think about Paul. Paul knew that he wasn't perfect yet. Praise God. He knew that God was still working on him. And what he's unraveling as he's writing to the Philippians is what he's discovering and even what he comes to this realization is that God's not finished working through him either. God's working on him and God is working through him and he's not finished yet. He's got something that he wants Paul to do and therefore Paul says, you know, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, but to go on living, I know that that means fruitful labor. And so, for you and me today, if we're here and we're alive and we're breathing, what does that mean for us? It means fruitful labor. And Paul says, for your sake, as he's talking to the Philippians, he says, for your sake, because he knows that they need him to continue sharing the gospel and continue to encourage the churches. And that's true for you and me, for members of Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. God wants us to continue reaching lost souls for the sake of the kingdom and the glory of Jesus Christ. And so, God knew that He was still working on Paul. Paul knew that He was still working on him. And God had promised. I think about what He says to the beginning of, at the beginning of the, passage, of the chapter here in uh, Philippians 1. He says, I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God never starts something that He cannot finish. Now, I've got projects all over my garage that I've started, and in the backyard, and Allison's like, when are you going to clean that junk up? Because I've got projects all over the place that I've started and I haven't finished yet. And I don't know that I'll ever finish. But God never starts something that he doesn't intend and that he cannot finish. He will finish it. He will bring us, he will bring Myrtle Grove Baptist Church to completion at the day of Christ's appearing. That he will present his church without stain, without wrinkle, without blemish there at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be a wonderful day. But Paul practiced this one thing. He says in verse 13, he says of chapter 3, 
He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He's talking about the perfection of heaven. He's saying, I'm not perfect, and I'm not going to be perfect until Jesus comes. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. This word forgetting, what it really means is not to bring to recollection anymore. He doesn't recall this anymore. He puts it out of his mind. Well, what is it that he's putting out of his mind? Let me stand, stand here and tell you, it's a good thing to glance in the mirror and do a checkup. It's not okay to keep looking in the mirror while you're driving. Anybody that has your driver's license out there? And you got it legitimately, not off of the back of a cereal box. What my dad used to say, I don't even know what that means. How do you get your driver's license off the back? But anyway, some of those people out there drive looking not in the mirror, but at a cell phone. But anyway, it's okay to check the mirror. Mirrors are a good thing. Look back. And that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about holding on to the past. Longing for the past. Wishing that we could go back into the past. That's what Paul's talking about. So Paul, you know, points to two things that he wants to forget as he's writing to the Philippians. He talks about his personal accomplishments. And Paul said that he counted his past accomplishments as rubbish. The, the, the Greek word really means dung. For the sake of knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He'd rather live in the presence with Jesus than go back to being the new thing. The best new and thing it was back then. I mean, we've been there, haven't we? We got all those accolades that moment whenever we received that prize that we were hoping for. And some people today, they still live in the past on their past accomplishments. And let me tell you, if the best thing that God has done in your life was back then, then you're living in the past. Because let me remind you, our God is at work every day. He's at work every single day. He never stops working. He's still working on you. He's still working through you today. And so what we ought to be saying is, God is doing the greatest thing in my life right now, today. Every single day. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Say not. And this is a command, but it's, this is wisdom. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. In other words, why was the, the past so much better? And why are we here today doing these things like this? Why can't we go back and do the things that we did in the past? We cannot sacrifice meaningful, growing, personal relationships with Christ on the altar of our traditions. We just can't do that. So his personal accomplishments in his past, but also... He wants to put his forgiven sins behind him too. We already heard Pastor Ron talk about how Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And how he was there the day that Stephen was crucified. Uh, I'm sorry, stoned to death. How Stephen was stoned to death and he said, Father, forgive them. And then Paul's there giving approval to what they do. And then you go on over into the book of Acts. And at that point... Paul's on his road to Damascus, ready. He's got letters in his hands from Jerusalem, ready to drag off Christians. And so Paul says, 
As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. And as I, I think about those words, I think of Paul, he must have had a tear in his eye when he wrote those words to the Philippians. Because he heard the words of Jesus on that Damascus road. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul had a, a list of regrets a mile long. As long as that Damascus road was until the point that Jesus met him on that road. And he forgave him. I hopped in Allison's Tahoe one day, the one she had before we got the expedition that we have now. I mean, this has been like seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. I hopped in that Tahoe in the parking lot at, I think it was a tractor supply store or something like that. And uh, after I'd been driving my truck that had the backup camera in the, in the mirror, you, know, you got the backup camera? I mean, it's standard equipment now. It wasn't back then. And I hopped in that Tahoe and I put it in reverse and I backed up straight into a light pole in the middle of tractor supply. Why they put that light pole there, to this day, I think that's the stupidest place for a light pole to be, right there behind my parking spot. But I backed, I backed right up into it and put a dent in Allison's Tahoe. She was not happy with me that day. And the dent's probably still there in that Tahoe somewhere, whoever's still driving that thing around. But to this day, I can hop in the truck, and if I start to back up, if Taylor's in the truck, Taylor will go, hey, Dad, do you remember, like, a long time ago, whenever you hit that light pole in Mom's car? Do you remember that, Dad? And I tried to tell no, Taylor, I've tried to forget that. But you know, the devil wants to bring up our past regrets on a daily basis and wave them in front of us. Why? Why does he want us to do that? Why does he want to do that to us? So that we will be ineffective right here and right now for the kingdom of God. Instead, we ought to, we ought to look at our past and think, wow. What a merciful Savior is Jesus Christ, my Lord. That He took my sin, my shame, my past, and He put it on the cross. And He died a sinner's death on the cross. And then He was raised again to eternal life for my sake. And I can live now forgiven. I can be free from my past. Greg Laurie said it this way, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen. I love that. Because the devil, one day, he's going to suffer the wrath of God. But you and I, we're going to enjoy the favor of God for eternity. And that's a blessed thought. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that more than anyone else. Because he wrote more than a third of our New Testament. That if you've brought your sins to Jesus and nailed them to the cross... They are cast into the depths of the sea of God's forgiveness. They are separated as far from you as the east is from the west today. And so you can do like Paul. You can say, look, I'm going to let go of holding on to the past. I'm going to let go of past sins that are forgiven. And I'm going to live in the presence walking with my Jesus today. And Paul pressed on. 
And that's what he said. He said in verse 14, I press on toward the goal, toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if any... If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. See, if you get off track on this, God's going to remind you to press on toward the goal. Only, now listen to this part, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And later on, Paul is saying, I haven't arrived yet, but later on, Paul is going to say to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. So at this point in Paul's life, he knows he's about to be beheaded and it's over for him. His earthly ministry is finished. And he says, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, Paul, for him, that goal that he was pressing toward, That goal that he was hoping one day he would cross that finish line and receive this prize was seeing the face of Jesus and hearing face to face with Him, well done, good and faithful servant. But then Paul adds that word, only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, we've gotten, we've come this far. Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, we have come this far. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the church through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have come this far. To say 91 years is amazing. That's amazing that God has kept His church here for 91 years. And blessed Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. We've come this far. You know, there's a, there's a good biblical word that really means monument. To set up a monument. And it's called Ebenezer. But really what the, the word itself means is by the Lord's help. Or stone of the Lord's help. That's what Ebenezer means. You thought it meant a measly old miser. Ebenezer Scrooge, right? But the word really is it's a good it's Old Testament word. Second Samuel, Samuel was the one that came up with this word. Because the Philistines, representing the armies of Satan, have come up against the armies of the living God. But the armies of God of Israel have pushed back Satan. And they've gotten this much territory. They've come to this place where they, they've gained all of this territory. And the Bible says in I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 7, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. And the next verse says that from that point forward, the Philistines never entered back into that territory as long as Samuel lived. And folks, for Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, We're raising up a monument today. We're saying 91 years. What a milestone. That's a great anniversary. But we can't go back. And we can't let Satan take any territory that those before us 
have conquered for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so we press on. We press on. Are you ready to press on, church? Ready to keep going? Can you say with confidence, the best days are ahead for Myrtle Grove Baptist Church? Amen. I'm excited about what God is doing in our church. I'm excited for, look, I just listed a few, and I hope I don't miss them. I know I'm going to miss a million but your ministry, my ministry, the CSM, teenagers, PLC, Sunday school, homebound, deacon ministry, praise kids, and the list goes on and on and on. God is working in Myrtle Grove Baptist Church today. He's working right now in your heart and in my heart. And the best is yet to come, folks. It's yet to come. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. As we think about all the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, there may be some here in the room today that would admit that for a long time we've gone through the motions of church without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, He loves you. Enough that He died for your sin. And it's not good enough to say to Him, I want to I be in church and I want to be a Christian without truly confessing to Him that you're a sinner and you need to be saved. You see, that's why Jesus died. He didn't die to make you a better person. He didn't die so that you could fill a pew and you could show up on Sunday morning and come to church and and look good for everybody else to see. He died so that you could be set free from the penalty of your sin. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. The wrath of God was poured out upon Him. He suffered and He died. For you, have you admitted to Him that you are a sinner? Would you say to Him right now, Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that You died in my place on the cross to set me free from my sin. Lord Jesus, I come to You now and ask You to forgive me. I commit my life to you. Commit this day to you. That I can be used for your glory. And I I thank you, Lord, for the promise of heaven that you have given me. I want to spend the rest of my life loving and serving you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have just a, a few brief moments before we move into the last portion of our service. That's an invitation time. And maybe you've been going through the motions for a long time. And you're ready really to ask Jesus to be your Savior. This is your invitation. Maybe you prayed that prayer. You meant it with all your heart. You want to share that. We're here to receive you. If you need prayer, if you just want to grab someone and say, Hey, I want to pray. And maybe 
You need to rest in His forgiveness today. Confess your sin, but the devil keeps bringing that up. Just settle that right now. And say, Lord Jesus, I know that You've forgiven. You said, if I confess, You are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And Lord, I know that You have forgiven me. And I'm going to put that behind me. And I'm not going to live in guilt anymore. And if that's you today, this is your invitation to do that. Whatever the Lord would lead you to do, you follow Him as He leads us in our invitation. Let's sing together. And so are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, and oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Be behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. And so come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was born in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Grove. Good morning. Man, it's so good to see so many familiar faces. For those who don't know me, I'm Tony McFarlane. I'm one of the deacons here at Merle Grove. It's a pleasure to have you here today as we celebrate this special occasion. Let's bow your heads and pray with me. Most merciful and heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. Our Father in heaven, we come before you with joyous hearts, thanking you for all you've done for us. The psalmist said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Today, for your benefits, over this church for the past 91 years,
we have come to say thank you, Lord. We pray that you will accept our songs of praise in your name. We have come to your presence today not to present our needs, Lord, but to bring a token of our appreciation before you for your unfailing strength and support that kept us strong these years. And we ask that our praises be acceptable before you, God, as we prepare to return to you a small portion of all you've blessed us with. Please take these gifts, bless and multiply to be used to further your kingdom here and around the world. Bless these, your people. And Father God, so many of us are missing here today for various reasons. We lift them up to you, God. Those that may be in homes, maybe in the hospital, those who may be working, Father God, remember them. Remember, brothers and sisters, who are hurting today. Heal their bodies, God. Grant healing where healing is needed, strength where strength is needed and comfort, where comfort is needed. This is our prayer to you, dear God, today, and forgive us where we fail you. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. The Praise Kids would like to sing a few songs for you. We're going to start with one you know, the B-I-B-L-E. I'm sure everybody knows that one. So we're going to sing it the first time, and then I want you to join us on the second time we sing it. And the next song we're going to sing is the, word, the books of the New Testament, and they've learned the order, so they're going to be singing that. Um, and then finally we're going to sing the word connection.
May 16th during the morning worship service. The word connection is made up of mostly Bible verses and teaches us to understand the connection between our everyday lives and the Word of God. Thank you, kids. Good job. Good job. If you have your Bibles, if you would open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, over the next couple moments together, for just a quick message entitled, The Way Forward. As you're turning there, you'll notice that my head's glowing. Been here many times before. You like something a little different. Yesterday, I took my son over to New Orleans. He loves golf, and so we went to the PGA of Golf Tournament. All week, we were all prepared for rain. Every newscast all week long says, be prepared for rain. And we were, except it didn't rain. 
It rained here, but it was beautiful over there. And that's the result is the conditions changed, but I wasn't ready. My fear is that same thing can happen to the church when we move forward. The conditions change, but we're ultimately not ready. First, let's look for a moment here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Here's what God's Word says. Jesus was going through all of the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed, dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Four phrases I want to give over the next couple of moments together, so get these down on paper and in your heart, that is essential for us as we move forward as a church to see clearly, to feel deeply, to pray earnestly, and to go missionally. First, we see the essential nature for us as we apply this text is to see clearly. We see as the very beginning, Jesus seeing the people. May I ask, how do you see this community that's around you? How do you view it? Often you can view it just through a socioeconomic lens, or maybe a political lens, or maybe a racial lens or other type of lens as when you see it, that is the way that you view this community. But let me challenge you on the way forward to really boil it down to just this simplicity. Is our community with Christ or without Christ? That's the, really the only lens that I really need to look through. Let me give me unpacking just for a moment what is taking place right now in Escambia County. We have about an estimated 320,000 people that live in Escambia County. According to the Association of Religious Data Archives, 43% of our county claim no religious affiliation. Let's go a little bit step farther. You add another 20% that are outside of an evangelical gospel church. They reject Christianity, they reject everything about Jesus, and they are connected to that faith. That gets to 60% of our county are outside of a gospel influence. You're thinking, hey, at least we got the 40%. Did you realize across all faith denominations, all faith groups total, 34% do not even practice the faith that they claim that they adhere to. And so when we put that all together, if we were to take those numbers that we have, of the 320,000 people that live in Escambia County, over 230,000 people are outside the gospel right now. 230 in your home. Every couple of weeks... At the association, I get a call from some place in the country of a group that wants to come to your hometown on a mission trip. Right now, there's some church in America that's raising funds to come to Pensacola this summer on a mission trip. So let me ask you, how do you see your community? Jesus, it was very clear that he went and he saw very intently the area that was around him. We can get so blinded. I can often, I'll go in and out of churches all the time, and I'll notice, will there be something about their facility? Say, hey, did you see this? You know, we walk past it all the time. We didn't even know that was broke. We'll get right on it. 
Often we can do the same thing about the mission field of Escambia County. It's essential that we see clearly. Number two, after we see clearly, that needs to lead us to feel deeply. What did Jesus do? Seeing the people, He felt compassion. How do you feel about this community? Now, to be honest, you look at the news, you look at the newspaper. Some people are excited about the direction other people's are ticked. You can get ticked about headlines. Maybe you feel this way about this political party or that political party or that race group or that ethnic group or this political decision. And you get feels all over the map. But what Jesus did, it ultimately came down that when after Jesus saw very clearly, he began to feel deep distress. Because here's, let's get it, when we teach it, I want to know what Pastor Josh is unpacking and what Pastor Ron did for years. Heaven's real and I'm looking forward to it. We're one day closer to that for those who are followers of Christ. But hell's real also. And those who are outside of grace relationship with Jesus Christ are one day closer to that. Friends, that is your family, that is your neighbors, that's those who you work with, those who you go to school with. They are lost as sheep without a shepherd. That should keep you up at night. That should disturb you. Because hell's real. And so Jesus, He saw the people. He saw clearly. He felt deeply. Let me just take an interlude for a moment to challenge you in your listening skills as your pastor unpacks God's Word every week. He's going to teach you God's Word, and you can leave here saying, I know something new. And you think that's the total scope of coming to church, is informational learning. I know something I didn't. It might go a step further, where all of a sudden you feel positive about the topic or negative about the topic you're supposed to, and you feel convicted. You just get all up in knots. You're thinking, that's the goal. You leave here, and Pastor Josh, I felt convicted today. But friends, that's not the goal. See, if we stop at informational or if we stop at emotional, we've not yet hit transformational. And the goal is God wants us to look more like Jesus when we leave than when we showed up. And so what we must do is come and see clearly this community. We need to feel deeply just as Jesus did. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. But number three, what we must do according to this text, we must pray earnestly. I'm so glad for the deep foundation of prayer that Pastor Ron laid here. And it's still going through the prayer for the unity movement. What Josh has continued to build upon is this church is known for praying. But let's make sure we're very clear as we move forward into the future of your church. We have to have priorities that value more people bent on their knees than on their backsides in the pews. That's the numbers that matter. That's the numbers that move mountains. See, our good efforts and our bad efforts are still our efforts. 
See, we need the Spirit of God to fill us. Spirit of God to fill this church. If we're going to affect 230,000 people that are in the mission field of this community that need Jesus Christ. We need the power of God as churches as we move forward. How? The way you move forward as a church is at the speed and direction of prayer. That must be what drives. And number four, your text here is to go missionally. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 35 at the very beginning, what was Jesus doing? He was, the text says, he was going from city to city to cities, from town to town. He was a man on the move. We look at the very end and what is Jesus doing? He's telling, hey, would you pray for all those workers who need to go into the harvest? And so they were praying earnestly. If you were to venture into chapter 10, you would actually see there is this commissioning of the apostles and they go out. So I want you to get this very carefully. The people were praying, God send workers. And then the very next chapter, they were the ones whom God sent. Friends, it's very, it's not ironic, it's the way God works. Sometimes we are the very answers to the prayers we've been praying. So don't say, God, we need you to send somebody to go reach the 230. We need you to go send somebody to reach the youth. We need you to go send some. God's saying, I sent you. Just as the Father sent me, Jesus said, I, therefore I send you. This is our responsibility as we move forward. So what's going to be required? I'll give you three things really fast. Number one, it is going to require that every single person live out the behavior that you did during the pandemic. See, here's what happened when the church couldn't gather. They realized that they were still the church when they were scattered. And they were living on mission. You're all of a sudden, you're meeting this neighbor. I got a neighbor. You're meeting your neighbor. You need to continue to live out being the church even when you're not here at church. Embrace that mindset. Number two, after you live on mission, you need to partner with other ministries, other churches, in order if we're going to reach this mission field. This community is growing more diverse and larger than it has in historical past. Did you know 300,000 people move to Florida every single year? 300,000. Vast majority without Christ. People coming to Pensacola and military and cybersecurity and health care and schools are coming here. And we need to partner. You know, I can't do everything. Let me partner with the other church. Let's do it together. That's what's needed. And on top of that, we need to plant more churches. You're thinking, really? Yeah. Across the Pensacola Bay Baptist Association, though we have 60 churches from all the way from Century all the way to Entergy Point, I really need about 35 new churches. Even if every single church that I currently be able to influence and spend time with if every single one of our churches doubled or tripled that is not even going to fully hit the 230,000 people that still need the gospel of Jesus Christ so here's what's needed some of these kids that have sung up here that's where your future church planters are you think God just send us somebody who's going to lead our church so the next generation guess what they're already here we just pour into them beginning in our children our youth growing up Friends, this is what is needed for us to see clearly, to feel deeply, pray earnestly, and go missionally. May I say, isn't this what Jesus did? 
Isn't this exactly what Jesus did? He saw us in our sinful, lowly state. He felt compassion for you and for me. So I don't want to leave them on a destination to hell. So he prayed, Father, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And he came on that very first mission trip to the cross and saved us. He exemplified these four things. And we are ambassadors of heaven. That's what God's called us to. Therefore, as the church, let's not just be a fan of Jesus. Let's be a follower. And these next 91 years, should the Lord tarry, will be found faithful to complete the work that he's given us to do. Let's pray. Father, we come and we just lift you up in a spirit of thankfulness. Lord, for the example that you have given. Lord, as we leave from here in just a couple moments, help us to see this mission field of Myrtle Grove and West Pensacola and Escambia as you see it with eternal kingdom eyes. And Father, I pray would you just emotionally wreck this church as we see the eternal significance of what happens when our neighbors are outside of grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask, would we be a people of prayer who live on mission for you? I thank you for your sustaining power these last 91 years. Lord, may your spirit who never leaves us nor forsake us guide the strides of these church from this point forward. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.